0: Tends to throw down the left side to fade. Lavisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder, catch is made by Lavisca Chennault. Touchdown, touchdown, Colorado. How do you cover that man? Well, second down of the 16th. Colletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Slang and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9 yard line. Terrence Slang, there's no better looking football player. Takes a snap dropping the throne he's got time downfield kd nixon backpedaling one-handed crab outside the 20 in the 15 yard line oh what a catch by kd nixon between the hashes moving left to right loopily shotgun snap gives the inside handoff and that thing is blowing up that time oh what a play by landman I mean as soon as it was handoff, Lambin was right there and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play! Montez fake, handoff, turns the corner and here he goes! 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Steven Montez, holy cow, he had the fake and he rolled out to his left and he was so alone it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in.
1: Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of buffstampede.com, and joined by fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a little while since we've heard your voice on the podcast. Just busy with life, huh?
2: Yeah, man. Life's no fun. Work's got me busy. So you guys can go into Blake Street and blame Chris. <laughs> <All right. laughs> What's new with you aside from work? There isn't much, honestly, unfortunately. Just wedding planning. That's next summer for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of wet going to weddings and spending a lot of time at work these days. So it's keeping me busy. The summer usually lightens up a little bit for me, which is nice. Be able to go play some golf and hopefully see a camp or two and do a few more podcasts. Um, Yeah, I miss it for sure, but life gets in the way.
1: Buff Stampede Radio is once again brought to you by the Pillow. These guys are huge Buff fans, and these amazing pillows are made right here in Colorado. They've been highlighted on the local news in the Washington post and on the today show. Not only are they great pillows, but they help employ former felons, addicts and homeless great pillows with a great purpose, fully customizable pillows for every sleep style. Just add or remove the natural fill to get your pillow exactly how you want. No chemicals, memory foams or cheap polyfoams. all natural and ridiculously comfortable support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product save 10% now at infinitemoon.com and use go buffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a hundred day risk-free trial ever pillow by infinite moon made by us in Colorado, perfected by you Infinitemoon.com. fiance recently had to go to South Dakota for a work trip.
2: The ever made the journey. So that's a good endorsement right there. Yeah, there you go. I'm telling you, man, we just talked about it. I work a lot, so I'm, that good sleep needs to happen for me, so they're helping me out.
1: You've been busy with life, but you did get a chance to attend the Buff spring game. Did anything you saw that day change any of your impressions about this football team, about the Mel Tucker staff, anything? What were your takeaways?
2: No, and I know that's boring for a podcast talk, but I mean it's really true. I mean We've watched the spring game long enough to know that it doesn't really tell you how the season's going to go. It's usually pretty ugly. Uh, a lot of the better guys in the roster tend to play a series or two or just sit out all together. So, no, I mean, yeah, it's a, you always want everything to run smooth, and it didn't definitely didn't go that way for the spring game. But it doesn't mean anything for fall. I mean, these guys, a lot of them have been playing together for a couple weeks at most, and they're not really going to start implementing game day stuff until the fall.
1: Yeah, so... You're not buying that Sam Noyer is the second coming of Joe Montana?
2: No, I don't think so. I've seen enough of him in game day to know that. I'd still rather have Steven Montez slinging the rock out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because that was the public's only opportunity to see this football team. Right. I heard that it was Stephen Montez's worst spring yeah. practice and was Sam Noyer's best. And obviously, if you see who they were throwing against, both those quarterbacks, obviously Montez against the, the number one corners mm-hmm. and – Neuer against Dante Wiggly, who's now transferred out of the program in a walk-on corner. Now, Neuer did make some nice throws in that game. There's no question about it. But uh, I, I think it's so easy to overanalyze this spring game when, I mean, they had, I think, three other scrimmages that were just as important. The fans just weren't allowed in. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, Montez has always struggled in the spring game. He definitely wasn't good in this one. I talked about this on free ball in the one podcast we found time to do, and it almost... It feels like he trolls us to me. Like he's just like, <laughs> ah, I'm going to go out here and throw the ball to the other team just to piss off everybody, and then go out in the fall and start the season with 25 touchdowns and six interceptions or whatever he did last year to start the year. You know, so I'd obviously be shocked if he's not the guy come the fall. And this game doesn't really mean much, and it's you know, it's it doesn't create the same atmosphere.
1: Perhaps the biggest news. Since the spring game is that Mikhail Onu is going to be joining the Buffs as a graduate transfer. Really a a match made in heaven. Onu brings experience, versatility, and leadership to a CU secondary that desperately needs that. He he led SMU in tackles a couple years ago. Didn't put up quite the same stats last year, but he was playing with a sports hernia injury. If you assume he takes one of the starting safety spots, you've got Darian Rakestraw, Trey Udofia, Aaron Maddox, Isaiah Lewis, Mark Perry, possibly Tristan Oliver. Who do you think is going to jump to the top of that that group there? And, and certainly they're going to need more than just one guy to emerge. They're going to need some depth right. there as well.
2: Yeah, you're going to need some depth. And I think if, if, if that ends up being the case and Onu does start, it kind of pushes everybody one peg down and you start to feel a little bit better. I mean, Darian Rakestraw, if he's your fourth or fifth safety, you probably feel a lot better than you do if he's the guy who's – the first one off the bench in case something goes wrong. You know, he's still trying to gain experience. I mean, probably the leader in the clubhouse is Aaron Maddox for the other spot, I would have to guess. I thought he looked pretty solid at times last year back there, and it seems like he's put on a lot of weight, which that was kind of always the knock on him is does he have the size to stay healthy. Um, If you can get those two guys out there and ready to rock, the backups fall into place. I mean, if Mark Perry's ready to come in and play right away, um, even if he's not a starter, if he can be a depth piece, play on special teams and, you know, come in in certain situations, uh, if he's ready to go as a true freshman too, you have to start feeling a little bit better about that safety spot.
1: Ronnie Blackman is the latest attrition, and the Buffs are now under the 85 scholarship limit. Of the six scholarship players that left the program this offseason, only Israel Antoine and Hassan Hippolyte are guys that that you would have liked to have back in the program. Obviously, Antoine wanted to be closer to home, so he transferred to Oklahoma State. Hippolyte wanted to stay in Boulder, but uh, we don't know exactly what he did. But Mel Tucker said, "You got to get out of here, hit the road, because violating team rules on some level." I don't. I mean, I don't think Blackman, Kevin George, L.J. Wallace, Tabafino, or Dante Wigley are on the field unless there's a lot of injuries this season.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Ronnie, as a special teams guy, I mean, his stats definitely exceeded his ability. I guess there because he had so many returns. He was an adventure, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. I think you would, would. And he didn't won- get any better. It was still an issue in the last game of the year against Cal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd li- we would have probably been worried if he ended up being the starting kick and punt returner again this year. So he was a guy who, in camp last year, people thought might have a chance to play more at nickel. Didn't really pan out. So, I mean, he's probably the third most talented guy that left, but still not the end of the world, I don't think, for this program. And I agree with you. Any of the other guys involved, you know, you have to get down to that 85. So. Someone's gonna have to go and I think largely the guys that did won't hurt our program.
1: It's too bad with Hippolyte because he plays a physical brand of football that I think would have fit really perfectly into this new staff's just kind of physical philosophy. Antoine obviously, but uh you know, a lot of his stuff being autistic was tied to the sport that he thought he had there. Yeah. Um and so that had more to do with non-football related stuff than. Anything. Yeah, I would say
2: it had a hundred percent to do with non-football stuff, and I think it was probably the move that made him the most comfortable, and it's important for you know for him. Yeah.
1: Early season game times have been announced. CU will open the season against CSU in Denver on Friday, August thirtieth at eight ten p.m. Mountain Time, with national television coverage on ESPN. They'll host Nebraska in their home opener at Folsom Field on September 7th at 1.30 p.m. on Fox, and they have an early kickoff against Air Force the following Saturday, September 14th at 11 a.m. on the Pac-12 Network. CU will play two Friday night games in conference play at Oregon on October 11th at 8 p.m. on FS1 and at home against USC on October 25th at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. I know you're part of the tailgating crew 11 a.m. kickoffs obviously yeah. aren't ideal for that.
2: No, definitely not. It'll definitely be a breakfast, uh, breakfast atmosphere for that one for sure. What time will uh, you guys get there on an 11 a.m. kickoff? Well, they, they normally open, I want to say, four or five hours. I forget now. Four or five hours before the game starts. I doubt they'll open at 6 a.m. So <laughs> they'll probably tell us either 7 or 8. That okay. day is when we can be there, and that's when we'll be there.
1: Any games on the schedule that you're particularly looking forward to this year?
2: Yeah, I mean the Nebraska game obviously is going to be a lot of fun. Um, got them last year in their place, so it'd be nice to get them two years in a row and kind of have them licking their wounds until the when's the next series coming up after this? It's like a two-year break or a three-year break or something?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but yeah, they've yeah. got
2: a couple more scheduled. It'd be nice to have bragging rights a little bit moving in, and I think just conference play in general, it'll be nice to see. If we can make a move, because it's been one or two wins in conference play for a majority of the last decade. I don't know if that's going to change this year, but if it somehow was able to, that would, you'd obviously feel pretty good about the future of this program under Mel Tucker. Obviously,
1: a lot of marquee teams coming to Boulder yeah. this year. Do you like that, or do you like the fact that, hey, you got to go on the road for some of those and then have some of the easier games at home, which makes it
2: easier to kind of rack up those wins? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the schedule this year is pretty daunting. I mean, there's probably going to be six or seven ranked teams on there, uh, teams that will be ranked at some point throughout the year. Um, Yeah, and there's honestly not a whole ton of winnable road games, in my opinion, either. I mean, the easiest road game is probably UCLA, maybe, and I wouldn't exactly call that a cupcake by any stretch of the imagination. So, overall, they're going to have their work cut out for them to get to those six wins, just because the schedule, I think, is working against them this year, but... We'll see. He's obviously going to get a couple years to get his program in place, and if he keeps recruiting the way that he has been so far, he's going to get a good amount of time.
1: Kelly Brooks provided CU with its largest endowment in history. Big news that came out since our last show. I had a chance to talk to her and and had to go with the angle that she's a CSU grad. It was was just set up
2: for, for the story. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that about her. Yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. I mean, she's obviously really active on social media. Everybody always knew that she had a passion for CU, but to be able to put her money where her mouth is as well, I mean, that's an incredible gift to the university. She should be really proud. I recently did a
1: podcast with Sefo Lufau. If you have not listened to that yet, I definitely recommend it. He was somebody who was very buttoned up during his playing career because He's all about the team and didn't want to say anything in the media that would be construed as controversial. So he opened up quite a bit during this podcast, and it was just interesting to kind of get his recount of things. He said the Michigan game is the only game in his playing career that he still has a bad taste in his mouth about.
2: Really? Yeah. Wow. That's interesting, because I would think there would be a couple others in there for sure. But that game did really feel like they they had a shot to yeah. really shock the world that would have been incredible
1: there are five 2020 recruits on board at the time of this taping there could be some news breaking so if it does with a certain receiver from texas that visited this past weekend before we drop this uh our apologies tyler what what's your favorite of those five guys on board for 2020 already
2: uh this probably isn't a talent answer but i think it's got to be carson lee because he's kind of he's the bus driver He's the guy that's trying to bring all these dudes together. He's worked really hard to build this class and, you know, coming up on his own dime to hang out with other offensive line recruits. That's pretty special. And you don't get a kid like that in every single class. So to me, he's the guy that's really going to create this tight bond. And hopefully it works out in the end.
1: Are there any uncommitted 2020 recruits that are at the top of your wish list right now?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, um, a couple guys that definitely stand out, but the one, I mean, Jason Harris, potential basketball recruit too, which could be kind of interesting. But can you really do that nowadays? I, I, mean, I don't. It doesn't happen very often. So it's been a while since I've seen guys play both. But either way, unrelated to basketball, I mean, I just think an athletic defensive end, you know, an elite pass rusher is where how this program gets to the next level. It's been a while since we've had elite pass rushers, and you look around the country and you. See these guys who are winning national championships every year or in the top 25 every year, winning your conference every year. They all have elite pass rushers. So that's got to be the next step for us as a program.
1: Jared Ivey from Georgia is another intriguing pass rush recruit thereafter. He was on campus this past weekend, had a great time. Love Carson Wells and think he's going to have a lot of success the next three years, but you want some guys with length to Mm kind of complement him in that outside backers room.
2: Definitely, yeah. It's it's going to be uh, one of those things that they're going to have to get two or three of those guys at class to really start moving up. I think. Into, if you want to win big time football games, you got to be able to get to the quarterback.
1: Brendan Lewis is now a twenty four seven Sports composite four star prospect. Nah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so he's he's a much better football player now than when he committed
2: uh-huh, for sure. Definitely worth arguing about.
1: <laughs> All right, let's dive right into the Buff Stampede mailbag dr 10 asked who is the most underrated recruiter on the football staff see the only guy you couldn't really pick for that is darren Cheverini because we laud him as a recruiter for obvious reasons since it's mostly a new staff with the exception of Hagen chev who i mentioned and ross ells i think anybody's up for this right because it's i mean no one's really established at least at cu yet as a recruiter
2: right i would say none of them are rated (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, at this point, I mean, we all have expectations, you know, and we've seen some early results. Seems to me like Coach Mike yeah. has a chance to be a pretty good recruiter. He's been mentioned a lot, um, especially from the guys down south so far. So to me, he has a chance to be pretty impactful in that regard. And, you know, he's getting a lot of mention, and he's obviously a young, able, you know, he's got a lot of gumption, I guess, energy, got, you know, what you're looking for if you're a young recruit. So, so far there seems to be a good connection with him and Chris Kapilovich,
1: obviously getting yeah. Jake Ray, Carson Lee who you mentioned there and they're probably going to have their tackle commit locked up here pretty soon so uh, he's definitely done a good job on the recruiting trail. Movie Buff asked, you give 50 million to the athletic department, where do you ask your money to be spent? Top 3 Folsom updates.
2: I know Tyler already loves the Ralphie entrance. I'm not the only one who loves the Ralphie entrance. <laughs> They need to. I, we talked about before. They need to update the geriatrics or whatever you want to call it, around the whole thing. Though <laughs> the antics behind Ralphie need to change. New, new, uh, new entrance. New music. That kind of stuff. More pump up.
1: All right. Where, where where's your fifty million going?
2: Uh, Balch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they redoing that part of the stadium. I think is really vital. Um, that's probably where all of it go in terms of Folsom updates. I always thought it'd be cool if so they have the touchdown club, but the angle for watching the game isn't great. It's one of the main reasons we're actually moving out of there this year. If they if they had like field level, not field level, but maybe like just above that boxes between the thirties, you know, instead of the student section over there, if you could buy those same outdoor suites, you know, where you could have a great view of the game side to side, I think that would be big improvement for Folsom. I'm
1: definitely making sure the press box gets a, a facelift, <laughs> and most importantly, there should be a female bathroom in the press box. It's kind of insane, archaic that that in 2019 you go to the CU press box and it's a male-only bathroom. So if and there there are a lot of females that in the press box on game day now, where amazing. do they go? They have to go. We're, so we're on the fourth floor. They have to walk out of the press box. Wait for the elevator, go all the way down to Balch. And I think the female bathroom in Bulch is on the far end. So you have to walk quite a ways. So if you need to go to the bathroom during the game, you're missing wow. some
2: action. Yeah. And I didn't, I had no idea that that was true. That is pretty ridiculous. Someone yeah. needs to get that fixed.
1: Yeah. But yeah, some dynamite to Balch Fieldhouse House uh, would be a big Number part of four. where my $50 million <laughs> would go towards. But would you earmark some of that for, for basketball? Or would you I mean, all 50 put...
2: million balls would probably take up yeah. pretty much all of that. So it's just the numbers game for me. But, yeah, obviously me, I'm a huge basketball guy.
1: What needs to be doing... done in, in the CU Event Center? Uh, it just needs to be
2: – I mean, really, they need a new arena at some point, probably. They're, you know, It's been around for a long time. But just, you know, more seat backs, more comfort, um, take care of the food a little bit better would be my – Thing. I mean, I, I think they do a pretty good job of dressing it up for what it is. But, yeah, I mean, eventually you're going to have to put in a new arena that really glistens and shines probably.
1: Buff2JD asked, what's with the cornerback attrition? Who's in the pipeline, or are we really running with two to three freshmen in the 2D? Was Ronnie Blackman departing a surprise, or did you all see that coming? Well, the cornerback, you've really got three guys. Delrick Abelms Jr., Chris Miller, and Makai Blackman that are Pac-12 starting guys. No matter who you put out there this year, if it was the guys that left, had stayed, or having young guys in there, you're not going to feel comfortable no matter what at that position this year if if more than one guy goes down.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's depth is going to be an issue. Um, yeah, we'll probably have two or three freshmen in the two deep. We'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I mean, it's you're going to have to hope for a little bit of injury luck out there probably this year in
1: corner is one of those positions where guys can stay healthy through a season. Um, So in in terms of Ronnie Blackman, was it a surprise that he left? No, you'd heard rumblings and and this goes back to the McIntyre staff that he didn't like some of their techniques that were taught. And he seemed like a kind of a subversive type guy. And I think he thought he was a great punt returner because he racked up a lot of yards and didn't really, understand you have to catch what everybody up. else saw when he was out there this past season.
2: Yeah, he, uh, special teams, you know, like, sure, he was a guy that helped, you know, he produced at, at times, but also, I mean, he ruined games, too, so I think we would have been sad if he was out there starting, you know, it's, death-wise, it hurts, yeah, but Going back to last year when there was a hype that he was going to play more and it just never really happened, you could kind of tell his career had just kind of fizzled out here.
1: Truffle Sauce asked, Who are our top recruiting targets at running back for 2020? Haven't heard any news about that position. Is Hagen gaining traction with anyone? Taj Brooks from Manor, Texas, is one target at running back. He took an unofficial visit to CU and is kept in daily contact with Darian Hagan. But I recently did a feature where I ranked CU's recruiting needs based on position. Running back was dead last on my list. All five of the scholarship running backs on the roster are underclassmen, and four of them are either redshirt or true freshmen. You typically want to take a running back every year. This could be maybe the exception where you don't need to.
2: Yeah, if they don't find somebody they really like, I would I wouldn't be surprised to see them hold off uh kinda like we did with quarterback last year. I mean, you know, you yes, you usually take one every class, but you're not just gonna take a guy to fill a roster spot if you don't have confidence in him. And I think they feel pretty good about their, you know, quintet, I guess, at this point of young guys. So two or three of those guys are gonna, you know, rise above the you know, rise above the rest and you'll probably see a lot of those guys play the next three or four years. So there's not a lot of playing time available.
1: Akil Jones is owed a gift by Jaron Mangum. If you rewatch a couple of those, have his touchdown runs and that, Akeel Jones just completely missed his his assignment. I actually thought Joe Davis showed some good things too. He he looks like yeah. a really smart running back.
2: Yeah, I actually really liked what everybody did. I mean, a couple of the guys got less opportunities, and a couple of the guys were playing against you know fourth string walk on types, so it's hard to really gauge, but. I mean, you have to feel really good about Mangum's burst. I think that was the one thing coming in. Is he going to be ready to play athletically? You know, he's obviously a bigger frame. And he doesn't have that Bo Bisherak quality about him where you're just like, man, he's really a step slow. Um, so he that was impressive. I thought Joe Davis ran hard. Um, I thought Deion Smith ran hard. Um, even Alex Fontenot, you know, had a good first cut burst. His numbers weren't as good, but, I mean, he only got a couple of touches and it was against the starter. So different experience there. But to me, all four of those guys looked like their Pac-12 quality.
1: Go Buff 80 asked,
2: what is your favorite Pac-12 town to travel to? Uh, I wish I had a better answer for this because I haven't been to a decent number of them. Um, I love Seattle, but I haven't been to a game at Washington, so I can't really say that. I would say Tempe is the most fun I've been at at a away game in at a Pac-12 stadium so far. Uh, it's a hell of a time.
1: Okay. I have been to all of them now, and I'm going to give you my personal rankings in reverse order. Nice. I like this. Last on the list, this is an easy one. Pullman. Not only it, – it, it's fine if you're a college student. I could see how that would be fun to be insulated in a really – a true college town. But it's a pain to get into. And I, I don't mind staying in Spokane, but it's a boring drive. And you have to go through these tiny little towns that have one stop sign. And if you go over the speed limit, you're getting pulled over because they're going to you know, try to create some revenue on yeah, game yeah. day for their town. Next on the list from worst to best is Corvallis. The one nice thing there, and this goes for Eugene as well, you get to stay in Portland, which is an underrated city. I enjoy my time there. But actually being in Corvallis... Not a fan. Uh, next on the list, from worst to best, is Tucson. Not a fan.
2: Never been there, but I have a deep-seated hatred for Tucson. Why just is that? Based on their just, fan base. Okay,
1: that's fair. Mexican food, I guess, is the one thing you can get there and be excited about. Then next is Salt Lake City, which I actually like. It's it's a kind of a almost a cleaner Denver. I wouldn't want to live there because I'd be a minority from the religious aspect of things, but I <laughs> even went out there for the NCAA tournament th- this past year to watch some games, and it's a nice town. I-, I like Salt Lake. Next on the list is Los Angeles. It would be much higher on my list if not for the traffic. hate traffic, so that's what's pushing Los Angeles down my list. Next is Eugene. Cool town. It it just seems to be raining every time I'm there, which is probably the norm uh, from about September until what next the May probably.
2: It's I a long know. rainy season there. Can't tell you because I haven't been there, but yes. But it is cool and up there. Wet.
1: Say what you will about them, but that is the loudest crowd in the Pac-12. They get they get pretty rowdy. Next on the list, and these are going into places that I, I really get excited about going to. Tempe is, is up there. Uh, next Berkeley and Palo Alto both being able to stay in the Bay Area. And number one is Seattle. Been actually by quite a sizable margin. Great yeah. great seafood. Um, and the yeah, stadium's the cool. Great,
2: yeah. But I haven't been to a game, so I can't count it. Could say the same thing about Palo Alto. I've been to it multiple times, but never for a game.
1: So those are my rankings. Uh Go Buff eighty also asked, Are either of you nervous about the mixed offense we plan to run this year? Thanks, and keep the podcast coming.
2: Can't be worse than last year. Seriously, though. (laughs) I mean, like, there was some really ugly offense played at times last year. So, I mean, yeah, is there a concern that changing it up could cause some issues with our personnel? Yeah, sure. But, I mean, by the end of last season, everybody knew what we were doing, and that wasn't a whole lot of fun either. So,
1: All right, moving along. The Gildan One asked, what's the latest with Jake Moretti? Is there any realistic chance at him being a contributor, much less a starter, this year? So I heard that Jake Moretti tore something in his foot. I don't know how long the recovery is going to take. But for someone that... What's the saying? If it weren't for bad luck, Jake Moretti would have have none at all. Yeah. 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 So, And you just feel really bad for him. I'm not writing him off because I know him... Enough to know that he's going to keep battling, and he's young enough in his college career where he's got to st- keep trying to get healthy, and hopefully at some point it happens for him. But uh, I actually took him out of our top bus countdown for the simple fact that I, I want to temper expectations for him, and yeah. hopefully, hopefully he does get a chance to contribute this year. I don't know, but uh, right now, again, I would look at Arlington Hambright and William Sherman as your starting tackles and and hope that Frank Philip can put a little good weight on and and provide some depth there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, I've, I've already, I already had written him off and it's not for, it's not anything against him. It's really just for my own personal health. (laughs) Yeah. You know, if, if anything comes out of that and he ends up being a good player for us, it'd be a really awesome surprise. And I'd be really happy and proud for him. Uh, But at this point, I mean, there's just too much, too much there, too much going on to expect anything um, and that's unfortunate because obviously he has an unbelievable amount of natural talent. But, yeah, at this point, I'll basically just be rooting for him to be healthy in life. And if we get anything above that, that'll be awesome.
1: Husk this Nebraska asked, what are your thoughts about how Montez is playing and looking thus far? The only time I got to see him play was at the spring game, and it was not pretty. Is Coach Tucker and the staff confident with his play through spring ball with spring game being a blip? Or is he not looking as good as last year? Thanks for doing the podcast. Listen to everyone. If you guys could do more, I would love it. Can't get enough of them.
2: I would love it too.
1: <laughs> so we, we touched a little bit on this earlier. I mentioned that it was probably Montez's worst spring practice and Mel Tucker seems pretty honest with the media. I mean, there was that one Monday where he was disgusted what he saw there. Yeah. And he told us that it was unacceptable what the team put out there. And He talked glowingly of Steven Montez this spring.
2: Yeah, I mean, nothing in this spring game matters, especially in regards to Steven, who, I mean, kind of throughout, not just in spring game, but even in practice, has never really – I mean, and was kind of the same way. Like, you'd watch practice, and you'd be like, yikes. I don't know about all this. And then he'd go out on Saturday, and he'd ball. Um, You know, Montez is definitely a little bit less consistent but when things come together he's been pretty special. I mean, he's got 3 years of stats to prove that he can be just fine on Saturday. So, I'm not really going to worry about him just because of a spring game. Uh new offense could it potentially hurt him and, you know. And re-
1: you're super vanilla yeah. obviously in a right, spring game. Yeah, well, yeah. And you have the other professional coaches in in the state calling plays.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just talking like could the offense on Saturday could not be as catered to him. I guess possibly. Um We'll find out and see. But, I mean, he's always going to have those games where he misses some guys who he definitely should have hit. And he'll have a game where he probably really makes all of us frustrated. But nine or ten times a season, he's going to do what needs to be done. It's just a matter of everybody else doing that as well.
1: Yeah. You wanted to see more consistency out of him the last couple years. But, I mean, we've talked about it before. He was pretty much the least of their
2: problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody who's blaming five and seven on Steven Montez – Is wrong. I mean, there's really no other way to put it.
1: Puerto Rico Buff asked Could the Air Force game be a sellout? It's well known how poor of a job Rick George and the athletic department do on marketing live game seats. Should changes be made in ticket marketing and sales if CU does not drastically increase butts in the seats for games? Should CU lower prices to increase fan participation at games? What should the athletic department do to sell more seats? The Air Force is in state game that has not been played in 45 years should sell out. As should ranked opponent games. Pretty simple, Tyler. Go to a bowl game more often than once in 11 years and people will come to Folsom Field. Mm-hmm. I don't think it matters what you do and no, I don't care they haven't played Air Force in 45 years the average person in the state does not care about Air Force and making a special effort to get up to Boulder to watch that game. I'm
2: not even the average person, but pretty much anybody that's not a diehard fan of either of those schools don't care, as they shouldn't. I mean, there's no rivalry there. Yeah, that's not going to sell out, so we can probably temper that expectation right now. I also don't know if I would agree that Rick George does a poor job of anything, and that's for coming from a guy who's obviously been critical of some of the basketball-related stuff that he does, so... I think this question is a little bit overzealous in that regard. But should they lower prices to increase fan participation? Again, no. I think you're going to alienate your t- major ticket base—the guys who have season tickets—if they could have just waited and bought the same seats for ten dollars on game day. That's not a good business practice either, even if it does put more people in the stands. Um, you know, you're right. At the end, of the day, you know, coming from bar background, where we're a sports bar. I can tell you for sure it doesn't matter how hard you market or how hard you do, you know, you, you know what, what ideas you come up with. If the team isn't good, no one's showing up to the games, you know, to watch the games at Blake Street or in Folsom. You know, if you win games, people will show up. You, there's, everything is overstated in what Rick George's responsibility is to get people in seats. If you win games, people will be there. It's pretty simple.
1: Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is with that question is hire the right coach and right. that take care, takes care of the issue. Exactly. And you saw – excitement this spring I, I think i saw where cu had the second best yeah. spring game attendance second to oregon yeah and it wasn't a packed house by any stretch but there was a there was a healthy crowd there that's there was one of the people. better spring game crowds we've yeah, seen there was
2: definitely more people but yeah i mean the fact that that's second in the Pac 12 is just a joke to be honest i mean like, it is. there was maybe a fifth full you know yeah
1: maximus buff asked please talk about the air force and csu games any reason to worry in your opinions does air force present any real problems for us thanks gents
2: i mean i think that those games it's really just us playing ourselves you know I, i'm not going to say no disrespect because that is a disrespectful thing to say but it's really true i mean it'll be a close game if cu doesn't show up and they aren't prepared it, that's really all i can say um, csu is even worse than they have in the last three or four years this team that we have is as talented as we've had in the last three or four years outside of 2016 probably. Should be a blowout. I saw the spread's 10 points. It's not enough. That I'll be hitting CU minus 10 for sure. Um, Air Force is always a little bit more daunting because you're no one runs, you know, you, you, don't, you don't play teams that run the option anymore. So it's going to be an unusual scheme, and that can be a little bit concerning, especially if your run defense is not great. I mean, they're going to keep doing it, so you better figure out a way to stop yeah. it.
1: And obviously, they're always super disciplined. So to your point, if you don't show up to play that day, they're going to take advantage of it with that discipline. Yep. Black and Gold Josh asked, which upcoming road trip are you most excited about? Obviously, it's probably Kansas for men's basketball. But how about for football in the next 10 years they've announced?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was about as hyped. That trip was awesome. I'm really excited. I'm going to do everything I can to get back to Lawrence. Obviously, if CU makes the Pac-12 championship game. We'll have to figure out a midnight flight or something. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I will I will definitely be in Lawrence next year, so that's an awesome one. Uh, in terms of down the line, I mean, they all sound pretty cool. I'd like to go to Texas A&M just to kind of see the cult-like atmosphere they have <laughs> down there,
1: honestly. I am looking forward to Minnesota in 2022 for personal reasons. Was born there, spent the first 11 of my first 12 years in Minnesota, and I haven't been back in probably – 25 years so i'm looking forward to that
2: yeah that'd be cool minnesota would be a nice one to show up to as well
1: 2026 will be fun too with road trips to the chicago area for northwestern and atlanta for georgia tech when they initially scheduled florida that was like really cool but gainesville in early september that's going to be hot and
2: humid (laughs) yeah gainesville just doesn't strike me as the most exciting place to go ever (laughs) Yeah, I would. I Northwestern is big for me because uh, my fiance's whole family is in Chicago, so that'll be that'd be a cool trip just because we can get both of our families together, which doesn't happen that often. Yeah, and I have a grandma in Atlanta, but okay, you know, so we can maybe get down there. Atlanta's a fun city. Yeah, Atlanta's fun, definitely. Yeah,
1: good football town. T town buff asked predictions on wins and losses this season.
2: Obviously, I'd like to see you fall a little bit before we make that decision. But right now, we talked about the schedule is daunting. In my opinion, I think it's five and seven is probably the safest answer, which is frustrating. But there's not a lot of winnable games out there unless we unless all the pieces got to come together, and it's hard to predict that with a whole new staff. I mean, the talent the talent could get them to eight or nine wins if it all clicks for sure. But if they get to eight or nine wins, they're going to be highly ranked because their schedule is brutal next year
1: yeah i often get asked how the buffs going to look this year kind of an open-ended question when i run into fans on the street or wherever and it's hard to answer that not knowing how healthy they're going to be on the defensive side of the ball that makes it hard to make a prediction if nate lamon mustafa johnson stay healthy
2: yeah and i'm predicting a bowl game
1: for this team Nate Lamont plays a really physical brand of football. Mustafa Johnson was banged up there at the end of spring ball. I don't know. You, you can't – without knowing how – there's just such a huge drop-off from their first-team defense to their second-team yeah, defense. And
2: Nate's got to stay on the field this year. I mean, we all love and appreciate how hard he plays and how hard he hits, but you can't get a – you know, he got kicked out of, what, three games last year? You know, he's going to have to be on the field <laughs> this year for sure. So that kind of stuff can happen. Uh, I mean, to me, I think the offensive line is the one thing that's really holding me back. I mean, okay. They should be better this year, but they should have been better a lot of the last yeah. five years. So until I see them block someone consistently, it's going to be hard for me to predict them to win a ton of games.
1: I would, though, right now, go six and six if you put a gun to my head. Puerto Rico Buff also asked Cole Taylor is in Washington on an official visit. We all know how good of a recruiter Peterson is once the kids are on campus, especially kids from the West concerning or is Taylor just looking around well he's not verbally committed to see you so I don't know if concerning is the
2: right word um I mean if you want him it's concerning <laughs> yeah I, I suppose you know I mean you don't you you don't want to go against Washington for most of your recruits I'll say that for sure they close
1: Yeah, he would obviously be a huge get Caleb Fourier is another top guy they've targeted there you need one of those two guys to commit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, Cole Taylor. It's not he wasn't a commit, so I I get what you're saying with the concerning thing. You know, like well, he definitely wasn't a shoe in before he decided to go to Washington. Anyways, there was always going to be a battle for his signature, but going against Washington is one you definitely need to be worried about for sure.
1: And I know that Cole Taylor, at least initially, was not planning to take an official visit to see you because he can get in a car come out to see you with a relatively short drive but i do think it's hard when you don't get that 48 consecutive hours with a recruit where everything's on the university's dime it you can't you can roll out the red carpet so much more on an official visit than you can on unofficial so i understand there's some concern if he doesn't take an official to see you, that it will be tougher to be beat out be some of those other four schools yeah, that he's going to.
2: It means one of two things. One is he's not taking us as seriously as we think, or two, he's taking us so seriously that he's coming here and he's just going to take five visits because it's fun. That's honestly how I read into that, and we'll find out what the answer is. But not taking an official to see you is definitely a red flag in terms of our ability to get him, in my opinion.
1: Puerto Rico buff also asked Connor O'Toole, the big fast receiver from Albuquerque. When is he going to be on campus? So O'Toole has said multiple times he wants to visit CU by the end of June, but there isn't a date set yet. They need to do that though, if that's going to happen because the coaches aren't going on vacation after that second summer camp on June 20th. So that's 10 days from now when Mm -hmm. we're recording this podcast, that's not a whole lot of time to get that done, but it sounds like he does want to visit.
2: Yeah, I mean, it might just have to wait until the fall. We'll see how things play out. Who knows how many scholarships will still be available. Puerto
1: Rico Buff also asked, how many offensive linemen in this cycle? I think more than three commits. All I know is I've been told one more, a tackle, so three total. That's all I can go off of at this point.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, maybe somebody with big-time offers is going to come calling down the line and we'll take an extra one, but if they say we're going to go three, then that's probably the number you got to focus on for now.
1: T Town Buff asked, who are the top receiving targets you see committing in the next month or two? We are loaded at wide receiver. Do you see any attrition happening at the position in the future? Keith Miller the third might have committed by the time this goes out, or might not have announced that he's committed <laughs> by the time this goes out. So Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, I would at least hope that you go to buffstampede.com. So maybe there's news there, maybe there's not. Marvin Mims and Kayshawn Bout, both four star receiver recruits, are expected to visit Boulder this coming weekend. We just talked about Connor O'Toole, also somebody that's been looking at CU. The attrition question it makes sense on some level when you go to the spring game and you see all the talent there. But LaVisca is going to the NFL after this year. Tony Brown's a senior. Katie Nixon's a junior there is going to be opportunities for these guys to play in the in the coming years
2: yeah for sure it's definitely a well-balanced and stocked cupboard right now I mean there's not anybody that's sitting so far behind the eight ball that they can't get more time I mean I think maybe Jalen Jackson would be the one guy that you would point but he's to, running but, number two slot yeah, right now yeah, I mean he's he's really good it's just a health thing you know we'll see we'll see I mean that's Everybody else I feel like is gonna have opportunities to get a ton of playing time in the next year or so. So no one really stands out. I mean someone is definitely gonna fall behind just because it's a numbers game. Somebody has to be third on the depth chart, you know. And maybe some one of those guys wants to go play because honestly there's not a not a ton of guys that see you that couldn't go play somewhere else right now. Especially, you know, at a Mac level school or something like that, if they really wanted playing time. So it's possible, but there's definitely opportunities outside of this year. 68 buffs asked, Do you know
1: of any players in the transfer portal that are possibly being looked at? I wouldn't be surprised if they were looking at a cornerback there because they were going after Juco, cornerback that's since committed to Louisville. But that stuff's kept quiet until they actually come out and visit. Like, Onu, we didn't really find out until the week before his visit that. The, and it makes sense. You're not going to put that information out there. So I'm not going to hear anything until a recruit comes out on a visit. And yeah. Yeah. they're transferring. Mean,
2: honestly, most of the board will probably hear it around the same time as you. Pretty close.
1: Movie buff asked, Game of Thrones or Marvel Cinematic Universe, which had a better overall ending? Is this a trick question? Why would it be a trick
2: question? Because one of them was a pretty solid ending. Really good, in fact. And the other was... Well, that could just be your opinion, Tyler. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a pretty shared opinion.
1: Well, I'm not a superhero comic book movie guy, so I didn't see that. Okay. So you have the point of reference that you've watched both, correct? I've
2: watched both, yeah.
1: Okay. Well, then share your opinion.
2: Marvel was better. Okay. Yeah, I mean, most people, at least everyone that I've seen, loved the last two movies. Are they really the last two movies, though, Tyler? Probably not. I'm just saying for now. You know, how they ended it was satisfactory, if not okay, really, if not really good. well. That's news to me. It's good to know. Game of Thrones. I'm happy for you. Not satisfactory in the slightest.
1: Okay. Now I did watch Game of Thrones, but I did not geek out about that show. It was me just neither. A, a an hour on Sunday night. It was entertaining enough for me to keep watching. It was tough because there were such long breaks between the show that I'd forget character names and stuff. That's so. That's the level of fan I was of that show. And I saw people freaking out about things, but I guess I just didn't care enough
2: to let yeah. it affect me. Well, right. Yeah. I'm not going to write letters to the producers and start and start petitions so and things what
1: like that. What did you but. not like? A dragon it's just what, tearing down an entire city? What What was the particular aspect of it that you didn't like?
2: They just spent so much time on the majority of the show and then- Rushed wanted, through a lot of stuff. To get, yeah. Wanted to get done with it in the end. So yeah. they basically wasted all the effort that they put in at the beginning just to- kind of shit on it at the end was it still good television yeah sure it was a good show but the last season was like 17 levels worse than everything it it came out with
1: before it wasn't necessarily what happened it was just how quickly they rushed through those plot lines sure okay yeah i
2: mean it's yeah i don't think anything about what happened was too super surprising but yeah i mean there's some weird stuff. I mean, like, how are you, let's say, so I'm, um, I i do not want to ruin it for anyone. So I guess I shouldn't. No, go I into mean, this.
1: <laughs> at this point I would think they would have skipped ahead.
2: Okay, fine. I was just gonna say like, for example, how do you get snuck up on by a boat? If you're on a dragon, <laughs> explain to me how, like you're supposed to be the leader of the world and your dragon gets killed by a bow and arrow from a fucking boat. You're like a mile up in the sky. How do you not see a boat?
1: think well I think they saw the boat no it was just arrogance they weren't prepared no, they for didn't that see it started extra, shooting arrow extra at it. large arrow headed the direction
2: no bro, that I, I'm
1: weak. literally the worst person to ever talk about Game <laughs> of Thrones because
2: still um, a good show but yeah it ended was poorly
1: were you su- surprised that Jon Snow no was not okay you saw that coming it was too
2: easy for him to be the guy at the end yeah I mean although the person that it did end up being was the second easiest choice which was a little annoying as well
1: okay
2: it's just kind of a boring character you know and i know that's not kind of, like, of yeah definitely
1: <laughs> and definitely a creepy character yeah anything else you want to share on on, on the topic no i've
2: since moved on to billions so far I've i actually that.
1: just i had i think is the season over yet because i have like i think 12 episodes in my know. DVR. i
2: just started season four this me too morning. okay last night yeah. yeah same game it's a good show
1: It is a good show. All right, let's move along to a few basketball topics. We talked a little bit about this earlier in the mailbag. The Buffs set to renew their rivalry with Kansas. We know this. Even a loss in Lawrence is better than a Quadrant 3 or a Quadrant 4 win in Boulder. And not only that, the fact that it's not a two-for-one, that it's a home-and-home, that... You take that all the time, and I've heard a few people go, well, let's have the Eskia-Booker shot be the end of that rivalry. When you've had a hard time scheduling home-and-homes with quality opponents and you've got one where the fan base can theoretically drive out to, you got to take that.
2: There was awesome. That was never going to be the end of the rivalry. Come on. I mean, there's so many Kansas fans in Colorado. For sure, at some point, that was going to happen again. So I'm excited to see it come back. Allen Fieldhouse is should anybody who's a sports fan even remotely that should be on high on their bucket list. Unbelievable experience. Uh I'm looking forward to it again and we'll get out there. I mean it's yeah, you get a home and home and yes, that you have to go on the road first, but who cares? Losing at Lawrence does nothing to your resume. I mean, how many teams in the or M- in in the NCAA tournament this year with 15 losses, 14 losses? You know, you play a tough schedule. You automatically give yourself a shot to make the tournament, and that's what you got to do. You can't be playing San Diego on the road. There there's just no benefit to that.
1: And if there's a team you want to take on the road to Lawrence, this is the group that yeah, they're gonna have this coming season. For sure. John Wilner actually picked the bus to finish first in the Pac twelve. What was your reaction to that?
2: Yeah, I'm not really ready to go that route. <laughs> I mean if this was if the if you put all the teams together, like if, if last year's Pac twelve was coming back, uh I think that would be warranted. It would be us in Washington that definitely have the most return returning talent if it was the same but there's a lot of fresh blood coming in and a lot of talented guys so they're Arizona for sure is going to have a more talented roster than us Washington is going to have a more talented roster than us probably even UCLA and USC now a lot of things have to go right for those teams because they're young but so I mean we definitely have the most returning experience and if that's your criteria for putting us first then yeah you're correct but there's, there's definitely going to be more horses in the race this Pac-12 year than there was last year for sure.
1: You definitely follow Pac-12 basketball and recruiting more than I do. How in the world with all the drama and FBI investigation did Arizona pull that recruiting class in? You know the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> I do, but it still doesn't make sense.
2: I mean, he's literally terrible at cheating, and he's still going to get away with it. So why would you worry about it if you were them?
1: What can you do, Tyler? I mean, do you just as a fan does
2: it? Does it bother you though? No, not really. It really doesn't. No, because everybody does it, and if you have the tools to do it better than other people, then yeah, you should. That's life. I mean, it's not just college basketball. Baseball is the same thing. You know, the Yankees get the best players because they have the most money. You know, that's just life in sports. There are going to be programs that have advan- advantages to others. And it's not like everyone else is clean and clear and Arizona's the only one out there cheating. Let's be honest. There's a lot of programs around the country that are cheating. A lot of the stuff shouldn't even be cheating, honestly. I mean, if they were smart and monetized college athlete- athletics in the right way, it would be better off overall, in my opinion. You know, so yeah, it's frustrating because I don't like their fan base and I don't like their team and I don't like their coach. But it's not just Arizona.
1: I will say it's fun to hate Sean Miller because he's such a hateable guy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's sometimes fun to have that animosity. What were your thoughts on the rules changes? Tad Boyle was part of the rules committee. They're extending the three point line out to the international three point line. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think this is a big deal, but now after an offensive rebound, it's a 22nd shot clock. You, typically saw guys go back right back up with the ball usually anyways or kick it out and, and shoot. So I don't think that's really going to change the game too much.
2: Um, yeah, I do. People who play slow, it's going to speed them up, which I think is good for the game just because slow pace is boring. I mean, you look at Virginia is still a slow pace team this past year, but they made those changes to be fast when it made sense and look at how much more entertaining that team was. Yeah. And also, by the way, they won. You know, there's – there are flaws to being the slowest team in the country. So I think it's good for the game just in terms of pace, which is important to basketball. Um, the three-point line I think is great. and I think it's an advantage for CU because we don't have a great shooting team, so it's going to even the playing field a little bit there. But I also think it's good to get these kids prepared for the next level. The three-point line was too short. How much do you think it
1: could open up things? Because it's not moving moving back a drastic amount.
2: It'll open it up. For sure, which is you'll turn good on a college game.
1: basketball game and, and notice the difference. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think if you watch basketball, yes, you'll okay. notice a difference. Do I think it's going to be like watching middle school basketball compared to NBA? No, I mean it's going to be a small difference for sure. It'll especially open the game up once people adjust to the three point line and people start shooting the ball at a good clip again. You know, it's going to hurt the percentages for a couple years, three or four, do- three or four years down the line, when people are making shots from that distance I think is when you'll really see the reward to the you know the style of play.
1: Just one newcomer in the men's basketball program junior college transfer Maddox Daniels he shot 42 percent from three-point range in two seasons at southwestern state what are your expectations for him?
2: We haven't seen enough of him I don't think yet I like his size so he's probably not the same type of player he's not the same type of player as George King but you could see when George was out there, when when he was doing all the little things, what makes him special. I mean, he can bother you with his length on both ends of the floor, can shoot over the top of you even when he's guarded. I mean, he's the one guy in the program that could hit any shot, regardless of whether or not he was open, because he can shoot over you. I mean, I look over at that Washington State game winner. There weren't a lot of guys in the program that could make that shot. Uh, Maddox Daniels hopefully will be that type of guy, guy who no matter what, can get a shot off in tight moments, you know, down the stretch. I think he's a good shooter. I think there's – we don't know enough about a lot of his game beyond that. Not the greatest athlete I've ever seen in the world, so we'll have to see how they use him. But what's nice is this team doesn't need much, you know. They don't need a game changer to be successful this year. So even if he's a marginal impact, this team could be pretty good.
1: What's a three-point percentage that he would have this season where you consider it a success from him as a shooter?
2: Thirty six. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, there's not a ton of guys in college that shoot unbelievable percentages, especially at the power five level. Um, I think CU as a team. I mean, McKinley Wright was our best three point shooter last year. That's definitely not what you want. So if he could be our best three point shooter, that would be. Well, Gatling a good start. will get better. He yeah, got I mean, better last season. His yeah, his stroke is too good to shoot the percentage that he shot last year. And you just kind of have to hope that Maddox Daniels doesn't have that similar issue translating to the to the game because i mean shane is a good player and he was really really helpful to us especially down the stretch last year if he comes in right away confident and making shots i'd like to see that improve and obviously lucas seward is a guy that should shoot better than he did last year as well
1: and you know dallas walton's gonna throw some out from yeah, the man. three-point Evan range Batty that's too, fun probably. to watch yeah <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, lucas seward
2: yeah you, so can, he, can you get it back Dude, he was so good at the beginning of last year. It's hard to imagine. I mean, with him, you can tell he it's all mental for him. I mean, he really his game is really affected by how comp, uh, comfortable and confident he is. I'd, I hope so because he was really fun at the first half of last year, and, man, he was brutal down the stretch. I mean, like not even hitting the rim. So, you know, I I've always been a fan of his and thought he had a chance to be pretty special. I was pretty excited to see how he was playing the first half of last year. He doesn't even have to do that. I mean, if he was just a consistent 11 and 5 guy, you know, maybe surprise you with his defense every now and then, that would be awesome. But I, I just felt bad for how it ended for him last year.
1: Team Colorado is back in the TBT. Nate Tomlinson will be coaching the team. And they have announced that Richard Roby, Carlin Brown, Xavier Tolton, Marcus Relford, Xavier Silas, Shannon Sharp, and Marcus Hall are going to be on the team. It's tougher. Every year this tournament gets more and more talent in it. And I have a hard time seeing this team go really far, but I hope I'm wrong.
2: Yeah, it's better talent than we've seen in the last few years. Um, So they got a couple better guys in there, which I think is cool. But, yeah, I mean, it's – I don't know. I still don't love that the international team can play in it. Like, I wish it was specific to colleges. I think that would make it a lot more fun if it had to be an alumni team. Uh, you know the same team wins every year it's kind of like the warriors it gets old after a while so i wish they would find a way to switch that up
1: all right well i think that's going to do it for this show we will be back and
2: before you know it tyler camp is just around the corner yeah man be out of town most of july and then all of a sudden is back so that'd be sweet
1: all right well are we going to get you back on a podcast again soon
2: Tyler? i hope so all right I'd love to. It's not like I don't don't want to not be on the podcast. (laughs) I hope you all know that I wish I was doing this a lot more than I am. All
1: right. Well, Tyler, we do appreciate you for taking the time out today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. Yeah. Got it done.